Be seated. Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. It's good to be together, isn't it? It's good to be together worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be able to stand here after 19 months and to see your faces again. If there's any doubt that it is Jesus Christ who builds his church, just take a look around and dispel that. Our God is faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's get into it. He must increase. We must decrease. Let's go. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 16 is our text tonight. Happy Thanksgiving. So good to be together. And I've got great news as you open up your... As you open up your Bibles... Here's great news for us tonight, loved ones. Jesus has promised that he will build his church. Amen? Jesus has promised that he will build his church, Matthew 16, 18, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can take that to the bank. That is a surety. Praise the Lord. But here's the question that comes from that. We, we hear that often, and it, and it should rightly induce and stoke our faith and press on in the days ahead, even against pandemics and all of these other things and the chaos that this world has spiraled into. And we should take great hope and faith and confidence in that. But there's a question that needs to bring up, is how does Jesus intend his church to be built? How does Jesus intend his church to function? What are the means that he's given us and promised to bless to see it built? And and you just listen around today, loved ones. There's lots of opinions about what this should or shouldn't look like. Would you agree? Well, here's a faithful church. Here's not a faithful church. Here's a faithful church. Here's not a faithful church. You've seen it come to the forefront. COVID has accelerated that conversation in many ways. And so that's why this series that we are finishing tonight, the series on Discover Hope that is launching us into this new ministry here is so crucial because it's recapping what Jesus promises to bless and the blueprint that he has given his church to be built upon. And we looked at week one, which was he's given us one mission. Amen? One mission, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, to make disciples. What is a disciple? You'll see it on the screen. It is one who progressively learns the word of God and is increasingly obedient to the lifestyle that it requires. One who progressively, you never hit your discipleship ceiling in this life, but progressively learning the word of God, but not just consuming it, but is increasingly obedient to the lifestyle, in applying it, not just being a hearer of God's word, but a doer. So we saw that Jesus has given his church one mission, to make disciples. But we saw two weeks ago that there is only one motive 
that can sustain that one mission. And that motive, the great commandment, is love. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the only enduring motive for the Great Commission is a growing love for the Lord and for others. And now today, that leads us all to today. The one means. We saw one mission, one motive, and now we see the one means that Jesus has given as the blueprint for how his church is to function, and that is through, ready for this? Say it with me, intentional discipleship. Go. Intentional discipleship. Discipleship does not happen by accident. Discipleship cannot just be an offshoot of a bunch of busyness that the church does. Intentional discipleship. Because here's the truth. Like, let's just look at it from a place of common sense. If we are going to make disciples, then we must be intentional in our discipleship. But there's a problem that we see all too often, and we can easily slip into, and maybe some of us have over these last 19 months, and it is this. We can become apathetic. We can become complacent towards or not intentional about making disciples. And the result is this. What's the result of a lack of intentionality in discipleship? Here it is, spiritual immaturity in the church. Spiritual immaturity. Biblical illiteracy. Division. You think that's going on in the church today? Just look around. You bet it is. Over a whole bunch of things. Doctrinal instability. False teaching ravaging the church and being allowed to continue in the church. Consuming from the church and not contributing to the church. Just feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. But I'm not going to contribute back and serve as Christ calls us to. Serving self rather than serving the body. And pretty soon the result of this, of a lack of intentional discipleship, is you have a church that looks more like the world than it does Jesus Christ. And ultimately it leads to its downfall. So the question we need to answer today, a critical question as we close out this series is this, loved ones. What does Jesus say? You want to hear what Jesus says? Let's hear what Jesus says. What does Jesus say it looks like when a church is being built up in him through intentional disciple making from the youngest child? Hey, kids, 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 eyes up here, eyes up here. Love seeing your... Love seeing your precious faces. We want to be intentional about discipling you, loved ones. To see you grow up firm in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And to not be afraid of what is coming. Of what may or may not happen. But to stand firm in the gospel. That's what we're committed to. That's what intentional discipleship does. That's the calling. And here in our text today, we are going to see the blueprint. Jesus has not left us to try to figure this out on our own. He's given us a very clear blueprint for discipleship in the church. And two truths that we must increasingly live out in his power if we are to be a church that is increasingly built up in Christ no matter, no matter, be encouraged with this church, no matter what season, no matter what trial, no matter what opposition comes against us. Praise the Lord. 
You ready to read some scripture together? And hey, 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 you know what? After 19 months, can we read this out loud together? And can we read it loud? And can we proclaim it? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Hey kids, I want to hear your voices. Good to see your Bibles open. Great stuff. Let's go. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Ready? Let's go. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, builds itself up in love. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones, all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, hallowed be your name. Glorify your name right now. Glorify your name through our songs, through our prayers, through our posture, through our teachability, through our humility, through our dependency, for a reception of this word today, your precious word, glorify your name. You are worthy of all praise. Sovereign God, holy God, righteous God, merciful, gracious, unchanging, all-powerful. This is who you are. So let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven tonight. Jesus Christ, you're the head of this church. You say what you want to say to your church tonight. And I pray right now you give us our daily bread of teachability to hear. Give us ears to hear your word and to receive the equipping with which you wish to give. Help us, Lord. All the cares and anxieties of this week, I pray in faith right now, we just cast those down right now and say, Lord Jesus, here's what I'm distracted with. I lay it down in faith. Give me ears to hear your beautiful word to me tonight. Holy Spirit of God, Remove distractions from this place. Grip every heart that is here in person and online tonight. Grant to me your understanding, your unction, and your utterance. Guard my mouth from error and say what you want to say to build your church. And Lord Jesus Christ, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Here we go. Let's go. Jesus builds his church through intentional discipleship. We must equip for his work. What's that? Our preparation. We must equip for his work. This is our preparation. See, Jesus builds his church through his word. I'll say it again. Jesus builds his church through his word. But the question confronting you and I tonight and every day is this. Will you receive his equipping? Will you receive his equipping? Let's get our context. Here it is, 60 AD. First century, 60 AD. The apostle Paul is writing a letter 
to the church in Ephesus. Now, where's Ephesus? It's modern-day Turkey. You'll see it up on the screen there. There's a map. So Paul's in Rome right now, and he's in a Roman prison, and he's writing this letter from there, and surprise, surprise, Paul is put in prison for preaching the gospel. All right, and he's writing this letter to the Ephesian church over there, modern-day Turkey. You can see that because, why is he making this? Because that church in Ephesus is in danger. And it's the same danger that this church, Hope Ottawa, is in danger of today and every other church. First century, 21st century, doesn't matter. What is the danger? It's an imminent danger of division. There are false teachers in this church, as we see in many churches today, plaguing the church. And Paul is writing to strongly encourage the church to unity. He's writing to strongly encourage the church to unity, to be built up in Christ through the word. That means to receive the instruction, the sound doctrine of God's word, and then just not keep it to ourselves, but then practically live out their faith by using the gifts that Christ has given each of them. What, in short, what is the whole, whole letter of Ephesians? What's the main thing, the big idea Paul's exhorting them to? No surprise, intentional discipleship. Intentional discipleship. How's he do this? Look at verses 11 and 12. Let's go back to the text. And he gave, that is Jesus Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? Right here, 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See what Paul does there? He starts out by telling the church that he gave them, Jesus Christ gave them spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders were Jesus's idea. And faithful spiritual leaders are a gift to the church for the protection of it, for the teaching in it, for the discipleship in it and through it. He gave them these spiritual leaders that would instruct, care for, and lead them faithfully through the word of God. And people were to follow them as they followed Jesus. Now, what were some of these roles? Well, let's go back to the text. What does verse 11 say? Let's go. And he gave the apostles. Who are the apostles? Well, the term apostle here means sent one. And specifically, what Paul is referring to here is the 12 apostles that had seen the resurrected Christ and the apostle Paul. These were men who were personally selected by Christ They'd seen the resurrected Christ, and apostles had three functions. Okay, ready for this? Because there's a lot, there can be a lot of confusion about this today. So let's be rock solid, crystal clear what Jesus is talking about with apostles. First function of the apostles to receive, write, and to declare the word of God. They were to receive the word of God, they were to write the word of God, and they were to declare the word of God. That's the first function. Secondly, They were to lay the foundation of the church. You look at the book of Acts, you can see it happening all over the place. The apostles were given a special, what's called apostolic authority, to lay the foundation of the church as the church is breaking into the world. All right, and what's the third role of the apostles? To accompany that message, to confirm the message with signs and wonders. 
given special apostolic authority to confirm the message of the gospel. And we can see this if you just flip over the page. Ephesians 2.20 is very helpful with this. Where he's talking about the household of God. And verse 20 says, The church, that is the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That was their mission. Now what does that mean for us today? This office, here's what it means. This office is not present in the church today. You say, why is that? Well, because now that we have the authority of the Bible, we have the blueprint of the church, we do not need a person on their own authority or apostolic authority to provide the blueprint for the church. We have it. We have the authority of the Bible to tell us how the church should function. So that was the role of the apostles. And as the church got established, that role ceased. And now he gives us someone else. Look what's next in the list. There's the apostles laying the foundation. And now we move on. Verse 11. He gave the apostles and he gave the prophets. The prophets. Let's get our context here. What's he talking about? These uh, were men that were raised up to proclaim divine revelation to the church. Now typically, when you and I think prophet, we think Old Testament, right? Thus saith the Lord. There's Elijah, there's Elisha, and all these other guys, right? Thus saith the Lord. And But here's the thing about that. God's revealing direct revelation to them because Scripture was still being written. And then you look over to the New Testament and you see this role. And this is the role Paul is speaking of here, specifically the prophets. These were men specially commissioned in the early church to speak God's word before the church, before the New Testament was completed. And so here's some examples, right? Sometimes they spoke direct revelation from God. He gave a word for the church. And that was, you could see an example of that in Acts 11. Or they spoke previously revealed revelation from Scripture, as is implied with Acts 13. They speak what's been previously revealed, the previously revealed word. So in essence, there is that still, at any time we uphold God's word and declare what God's word says, there is essence of a prophetic voice, but the role of the prophet has also ceased. And you say, wait a sec, how do you know that? Okay, flip over, flip over, ready? Get your Bibles burning. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Go to Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, and you'll see it. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the, by the, anyone's got it? Say it. Prophets. Long ago. He spoke to us by the prophets. But look at this. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus Christ was the full revelation of God to the world. What God wanted to say and show about himself to the world was revealed in Jesus Christ. And so this office is not present today. Why? Because we've got the closed canon of Scripture. 66 books, Jesus Christ, revelation of God. No adding to it. Jesus warns us against this in Revelation. No taking away from it. 
He's given us all the revelation that we need, that he wanted us to have. And this is why I get concerned, and you should too, when you heard a, well, God told me statement. Just like we saw in the New Testament, if someone comes up and says, well, God told me this, the first thing a mature follower of Jesus Christ will do is say, can you show me where in here he said it? Test it. 1 John 4.1, test the spirits. Test it against what Jesus, about God Almighty himself, has actually said. Otherwise, the results can be pretty devastating. So he's given the apostles to lay the foundation, the prophets to lay the foundation, but notice the next one in the text, the spiritual leaders, Ephesians 4. What does it say? The evangelists, the evangelists. Now, these were leaders in the early church with the specific gifting of evangelism in proclaiming the gospel. And we see, like, remember we kicked off our ministry year with the book of Colossians, Colossians uh, 1, 15 to 20, where Onesiphorus actually was the evangelist who God used to start the church in Colossae, right? So these were specially commissioned and gifted in the early church to go proclaim the gospel. That's what God used to plant churches. But now, as we see all throughout the New Testament, this role of evangelism is not just for spiritual leaders in the church. We are all called to fulfill the role of an evangelist. That's why one of our, our distinctives right here is courageous evangelism. It's an all-hands-on-deck member. Jesus Christ, in his great commission, he says, go therefore, not just go spiritual leaders for, go therefore, saints, and make disciples of all nations. And so this role continues in the church today. Praise the Lord. But now there's another role here. Keep going in the text. The, the evangelists and then the shepherds and teachers. Now you notice a little superscript number there after teachers? What that is in the Greek construct of the passage, that's actually one role. That's one office. It means the shepherd teachers. The shepherd teachers, all right? And what he's, Paul is referring to here now, which is still in effect today, he's referring to pastors, he's referring to elders who teach, protect, and lead the flock as under shepherds to Christ, the shepherd teachers. Now, I want to make something clear. You're like, wait a sec, I've got a teaching gift. Does that mean I need to be an elder? Listen, and I, as I look around, you know, I see there are people in this church that are so gifted with a gift of teaching. It's beautiful. And I have been so blessed seeing those gifts cultivated over the years. But let's make something clear. Not everyone who's gifted with the gift of teaching is to be an elder, but every elder is to teach. Okay? That's a very helpful distinction. Not everyone who's gifted to teach is to be an elder, but every elder is to teach. Just look at 1 Timothy 3. It's right in the qualifications for that. And so these shepherd teachers, these pastors, overseers, are to watch over the doctrine, discipline, and direction of the church, to protect the flock, to care for them, to love them, to feed them. Hey, and can I just say, on behalf of our elder board, um, we love you deeply. And we are committed 
in our lives to this right here. To see you cared for. And I have been so blessed and to sit in our elder meetings to see these men that God has raised up who love you deeply. And the purpose of all of these gifts right here, you look to verse 12. Those are the roles he gave. What's the purpose of all these spiritual leadership roles? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To see the saints. Who is the saints? Every true Christian equipped for the work of the ministry. The word equipped there means to train. The word equipped means to prepare or make completely fit for the work of the ministry. What is the work of ministry? Let's be clear the work that is given by Christ to see his body, the church, built up and unified in him through both increasing knowing the word of God and then living out the truth of God in their service to one another in the church. So let's get some clarity right here because I don't want there to be any confusion. Number one, these are not the only roles that God has given the church. There are a lot of gifts to be used. You want to look at what some of the gifts are? 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, and you'll see just a plethora of beautiful gifts, spirit-empowered gifts that God has given to the church. And the second thing we need clarity on is this. The work of ministry, see right out of the text, verse 12, is not just to be done by pastors. The work of ministry is not just to be done by leaders in the church, but by every single Christ follower in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's not like, well, I'm not on staff, so I don't have to do anything. I don't have to serve. It's like, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not on the leadership team, so I don't need to. That's, you just won't find that. And I want to exhort, exhort us in this tonight. If you're a part of this church, Hope Ottawa, or if you're part of another church, here's the beautiful truth and that we have the privilege of knowing tonight. Jesus has assigned you works. He's assigned you good works in the church to see it built up for his glory through your service in it. Don't believe me? Just flip over to Ephesians 2.10 this week and look at it. We are called to serve and not simply consume. And this, loved ones, we see it so clearly right here. This is where faithful discipleship must start. The faithful, unapologetic proclamation of God's word. That's why I love these distinctives right there. That third one on the bottom, bold preaching. Bold preaching, sound doctrine, expositional, application-oriented preaching. You will come into this church and hear verse by verse, line by line. Ex expositional is just a big seminary word for exposing the message of the Bible. Okay, What God wanted said. It's not me injecting what is cute and comfy and easy for me into the text and bend the text. No, no, no. It's exposing what does God want said, verse by verse, line by line. And then, how do we apply that today? That's what he's speaking of. That's the equipping of the saints. Why do we do this? Well, because here's the big idea of point one. The word of God equips the people of God for the work of God. The word of God equips the people of God for the work of God. What does that mean? Watered down word, watered down work. 
See, this is the purpose for which you are being equipped, Hope Ottawa. This is the purpose for which you're being equipped. Every time we open God's word, whether it's here preaching and teaching on a Sunday morning, or in your small groups, or when you have your quiet time with the Lord and you open God's word in the morning and you abide in him, this is the purpose. He is equipping you. In our small groups, when we come to prayer night and we open God's word, hey, next prayer night, by the way, fervent prayer, another distinctive, October 20th, coming up, 7.39 p.m. If you registered yet, registration's open, let's go. Okay, okay. See, the, the whole point of equipping is not just to know more. That's a great thing. But it can't stop there. You see it right out of the text. The whole point of equipping is not just to know more, but so that you will live it out more in the power of the Holy Spirit and hope Ottawa. I just got to say, walked in here tonight, and it is just such a joy. It is just such a joy to see you being equipped, not just being hearers, but doers as you respond to his word, whether that's jumping on a service team, regathering in, in person again. So much work has gone into this registration, production, welcome, hospitality, small group leading, teaching the word, praying the word, counseling from the word, and the list goes on and on and on. This is why you are equipped. Jesus builds his church through his truth. But will you receive his equipping? How do you receive it? Here it is, ready? Teachability. Can you say that with me? Teachability. As you humble yourself under and obey God's word. And obey his word when it's easy to do. Yeah, I like the sound of that. And when it's hard, those ouch moments, when it calls you to action and convicts you of sin. Teachability as you humble yourself and ditch your defensiveness when it calls you out of your comfort zone. When it's unpopular in society and you're going to be the one left out from the party with your friend group. When it calls you to engage in the life of a church instead of letting other things crowd that out. When it means getting up early to come in and set up. When it means staying behind, like sacrifice. Will you receive the equipping then? Because here's the truth we got to understand. Without receiving the word, there's no equipping through the word. Without receiving the word, there's no equipping. Without humility, God will not bless your pride or mine. It won't happen. But he blesses the humble and gives grace. So where do you need to humble yourself under the word right now personally? Maybe it's that area of sin in your life that you're just like, I, I know that's a sin, but I've just kind of been putting it off. Where do you need to humble yourself under his equipping right now? And repent and return to him. Where do you need to humble yourself? And just, again, loved ones, just a culture of ditching the defensiveness to God's word. Yeah, but, you know. Here's God's word. What am I going to do with it? See, Jesus builds his church through intentional discipleship, and we must equip for his work. That's our preparation. And as saints are equipped, Jesus builds his church through intentional discipleship. Final point today, ready? Jesus builds his work through intentional discipleship as we grow in his image. What's that? Maturation. We've got preparation. And what does preparation lead to? We receive the equipping. It leads to maturation. Jesus builds the church as we mature in him. Hey, 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 loved one. Is maturity your priority? 
is maturity your priority? See, in verses 13 to 16, Paul tells the Ephesian church, he outlines the beautiful result that happens in the church as they are faithfully equipped in the word of God and they receive it and then they engage in the work of God. What happens? They grow in spiritual maturity increasingly reflecting the image of Jesus Christ to the world. And we see four marks of maturity right here. Ready? Let's get our pens ready. Four marks of maturity. Number one, unity in Jesus. There's what equipping leads to. Unity in Jesus. Look at verse 13 right here. He says, to, verse 12, let's go back. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until, that means it's not gonna stop, because it's until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, the word unity there in the Greek means this, God produced oneness. What a beautiful thing, amen? God produced oneness and agreement between the believers. Now, specifically, what's Paul talking about here? Specifically, unity and agreement about who Jesus is. Man, there's so much confusion about who Jesus is today out there, isn't there? Isn't there? But unity and agreement, this is who God's word says Jesus is, who Jesus himself is, and what he's done through the gospel. It is a unity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the only Messiah. It is a unity and an agreement that he was fully God and that he was fully man. It is a unity and agreement that he came to earth and lived a perfect life for 33 years. It is a unity and agreement that as he goes forth and he went and lived out this mission of God faithfully, fulfilling every one of God's commands, it is a unity and agreement that he went to the cross to pay the penalty for for the sin of the world, and that there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. It is unity and agreement on that, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. It is unity in agreement that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we may become the righteousness of God. And it is unity and agreement that the wrath of God was poured out on him, and justification was made on our behalf, and that he died and rose again three days later, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And it is unity and agreement in knowing that all who confess him as Lord and Savior and repent of their sin will be saved for eternal life. Amen? And receive the forgiveness of sin. There's the unity of the faith. There's what faithful equipping leads to. No denying it. Taking God at his word. This comes through the teaching and reception of sound doctrine through the gospel. These messages that you hear on a Sunday morning by myself or anyone else who steps in this pulpit. And we have the privilege of having another senior pastor in our fellowship here. Pastor Steve from uh, Georgetown in Living Hope Church. And I can say the same thing about him. Is that we spend literally hours 20, 30 hours in the text every week to get it right. Because there's no equipping without it. Unity is at stake. Clarity is at stake. And look at verse 13. Also, verse 13, we see that unity comes through the increasing knowledge of Christ. Now, what's he talking about knowledge? It's like, yeah, okay, I know a lot of stuff about Jesus. No, no, no. 
what he's talking about here, the Greek word here, means to, it's not just head knowledge, but it's increasingly sharing the life of Jesus as we mature in him and abide in him through the word and prayer and increasingly obey his word and his power. See, here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing about God's word. It's alive. It's living and active, right? And as we do this, Christ unifies our hearts in faith as we receive this equipping, letting go of our pride over our defensiveness, and he changes us to be more like him. And he unifies and grows us in his image by his spirit at work within us to what? Just read the text. To mature manhood. That means, what does that mean? Complete Christ-likeness. We won't be completely like Christ on this side of eternity, but praise the Lord, amen, for every follower of Jesus Christ, that day's coming. When we will see him face to face and share that image with him. See, and now notice this. Complete Christ-likeness doctrinally and practically. And notice what it says in verse 13. It says the full stature and measure of him. More and more like Jesus means more and more like unity. More and more like Christ more unity in the church. More maturity, more unity. There it is. So clear. As we are equipped and unified through the sound doctrine of the word and receive it and live it out by his power and service to one another. Christ's image is increasingly perfected in us and the power of sin is increasingly defeated. It's a beautiful thing. See, and in the church, we increasingly see Christ's forgiveness at work in how we forgive one another. We see his patience. We see his love. We see his mercy. We see his boldness. We see his truth. We see his joy. Increasingly, as we mature, it becomes less and less about us and more and more about him. Unity in Christ, first mark of maturity. And what does unity lead to? Here it is, second mark right here, stability. Stability in Jesus. Look at verse 14, stability in Jesus. So that, so we're growing into the measure of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, what Paul says right here is that we must grow in maturity so that we're no longer children. Infants, the word means. Immature in the faith who are easily deceived by false teaching and they give ears to that and they're just led astray. And look at all these little children around here. Hey, kids, 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 back up here. Love you. Where's Asher? There he is. There he is. That's right. There's my guy. Listen. Look at these precious children. But here's the reality. Children can be gullible. Would you agree? Children can be gullible and easily deceived by believing what someone says as long as it sounds really convincing. They don't have yet, no offense, loved ones, but they don't have yet the discernment and maturity to know otherwise. This is the picture Paul's giving here. Man, if there was ever a call to discipleship in the church of children, amen? That's why we go all out for our kids. 
as best we can all the time. Right here, listen to this. If likewise, think that picture of the children. If we are not growing in maturity through teaching and application of sound doctrine, you know what happens? Here, you'll see a picture of it on the screen. We are tossed. See that? There's the picture Paul's talking about. Tossed. Right there, out of the text. Tossed to and fro, carried off by anything that sounds really convincing. Tickles our ears or is popular, but is ultimately false. And as we grow in knowledge and the application of God's word in our lives, we are increasingly able to stand firm on it and not be led astray as we are able, again, to test the spirits of where that idea, where that teaching is coming from. But here's the thing about this. Stability in sound doctrine, do you know what it also leads to when sound doctrine is rightly applied? Stability of emotion. I mean, how many of us know the right things about Jesus but still are getting tossed? Anyone? It's easy to do, isn't it? Sound doctrine rightly applied leads to stability. It's not enough just to know it. Do you believe it? Truly. Stability in relationships. Stability in the church. And it goes on and on. Four marks of maturity, unity in Jesus, stability in Jesus. Number three, ready? You see it right out of the text, our witness for Jesus. We get equipped, we receive it. Here's our witness for Jesus. Look at verse 15, go back to it. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in to Christ. See, the truth there is just the truth of God's word, not the truth of the world, what the world says is true, but the truth of God's word. And it refers to speaking the truth to those who would distort it. As elders, this is part of our protection over the church. If that we hear of, of, of false doctrine going on in the church, we address it. We address it quick. We don't let the leaven take over the dough, so to speak. It gets addressed Quickly, because this is what's at stake. Unity, stability, and now witness. And yet in doing this, we don't want to be bullies with the truth, loved ones. We're not called to be bullies. We want to speak the truth with the love of Christ. The word love there, speaking the truth in love, the word love there means speaking what and how God prefers into the life of another, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also in evangelism. Not going into your workplace being like, hey, you need to hear about Jesus. No, no, that's just going to like, you're weird, man. But speaking the truth in love. See, we're not called to bludgeon people with the truth, loved ones. We're not called to bludgeon them with the truth. But here is the truth. Truth without love is brutality. If you're just throwing truth down, but not out of love. There's that motive again, the great commandment. Not out of love. You know what that is? Brutality. But on the other hand, love without truth is hypocrisy. Because you don't truly love someone if you're not willing to speak the truth to them. Especially the truth of the gospel. The truth of God's word. We are not called to forsake the truth. But we will say it with the love that Jesus has for that person. And as we do this in the Spirit's power, and the person receives the encouragement, the person receives the instruction, no defensiveness, receives the correction, guess what happens? Look at the text. Beautiful. We grow up in every way. Thoughts, motives, actions, emotions, words, 
into Christ, who is the head of the church. The witness of Christ. And notice this, I want you to notice something very important. Because sometimes it might be a little intimidating, right? We might hear that and like, oh, i got to speak the truth in love, and I see that person walking in, in sin, I don't really want to... This can be a little intimidating. But what we have to understand here is, remember, Paul is writing this to the church. What does that mean? This isn't the role, calling out false doctrine, or when you see a brother or sister walking in sin, lovingly coming beside them, that's not just for the role of the pastors and elders. That's for every follower of Jesus Christ. To speak the truth and love. Hey, you know what? Love you too much to let you go on like that. Can I come beside you and let's look at what God's word says? Does this line up? What's going on? You're not bludgeoning them, but say you love them. So they can grow in Jesus Christ and increasingly walk in the freedom he has given. And I just got thinking. I just got thinking. How much gossip would be quenched? Hey, kids, how much gossip would be quenched in the church if we did this? How much sin would actually get addressed instead of dividing the church? How much truth would be upheld? How much purity would grow? How much unity would be restored and relationships be reconciled? And how much of Christ's image would be shown if we did this? How powerful a witness would it be as the world sees people, hey, get this, look at this room, people from every tribe, tongue, age, and nation standing firm, united in the gospel and truth and love with one another. That's what's at stake. Four marks of maturity. Unity in Jesus, stability in Jesus, witness for Jesus, and here it is, Finally, all of it leading to this, the worship of Jesus. Look at verse 16, the worship of Jesus. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is why our sixth distinction here is passionate worship. This isn't just about singing songs as amazing as that is. Worship goes way beyond song singing. What it means here, the term joined, means fit together. Fit together as each person, every joint, works properly, submitting in fuller and fuller measure to the Holy Spirit and in cooperation and love with other believers so that the body builds itself up in love. There's that term love again, serving how God prefers into the life of another. And you notice this, this isn't just for the local church, but another distinctive right here, strategic church planting, love overflows. And I would love to see men and women raised up, bucket loads of them from this church. We raise up a church planting pastor and we send them out to plant many, hundreds, gospel preaching churches for the glory of God. Amen? That's the point of body life. We are to be connected together as each part is connected to Christ. And just like the human body, here's the reality, no part can survive without a vital connection to the body. And today in church, there's just too many not connected. Too many not connected, coming in, going out. And I love this quote by one commentator. Hear this. It says this, The church will be enriched in worship and mission when everyone is serving and giving. When members give and serve in various ministries, when they visit those in need, when they make meals for new parents. And here's something. We've got a lot of students in this church. 
We got a lot of students, hey, check this out. Singles, young adults, when they're babysitting to help parents in need. They serve in the various ministries and together the body is edified, blessed, and built up. And every member should grow up to use a towel and not wear a bib. All right? So what are these ministries right here? Kids love you so much. What are these ministries? You'll see them on the screen. Here's the ministries right here. Welcome ministry. Hope kids. Set up. Tear down. Production. Worship. Administration. Website. And coming to prayer nights, diving in, small groups, let's get on the train, loved ones. And I encourage you, go to our website, submit a Work for Christ application, come to step one and step two, get plugged in. This is body life. And we're called to serve outside the church too. There's a lot of good parachurch ministries, but never at the cost of serving in the church to see it built up as each person does its part. And you may say, I don't know what my gifts are. Here's a good Here's a good idea. Be humble and try something. Be humble and try. Take a step. Jesus builds his church as we mature in him. Is maturity your priority? Jesus unifies his church through discipleship as it is equipped for his work and grows in his image. And what part is he calling you to take right now? And if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your first step to being unified to Christ in his body is to confess your sin and repent and return to him. Say, Jesus Christ, I need you as my savior. And brothers and sisters in Christ, are you gonna receive his equipping? Humbling before the Lord? Coming under his word, not rejecting it? Growing in maturity through regular God time? Standing firm in Christ and testing the messages that you hear in the world against God's word? speaking the truth and love to each other, evangelism, brothers and sisters in Christ, or in the worship of Christ, engaging and serving, plugging in, giving of your time, talents, and treasures. Hey, beloved, beloved, eyes up here. This is what Jesus intends for his church. You've heard it right from his word. It's very clear. This is how it's to function and what he promises to bless for his glory. Let's go. Let's go. And it's only 